Hey, good afternoon, America. See what is going on, man. We are calling them. Trump lawyers make stunning admission during federal trial 45 minutes ago. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch They're not going to call the any e. witnesses. Carroll they, trial they don't have any defense. moving along in an efficient manner in federal court in He's indefensible. New York. And I have to say, the contrast between E. Jean Carroll's lawyers and Donald Trump's lawyers could not be in more stark contrast. Also, the contrast of E. Jean Carroll's strength and courage testifying and Donald Trump fleeing to Scotland where yeah, yeah. he was just holding a shovel and pretending to open up a new golf course there when not even what was taking place. He like evidently rolled out a red carpet for himself. It wasn't like he was welcomed by the government with a red carpet. He literally brought out a red carpet for himself when his plane landed. You don't get more embarrassing than that, but the contrast between E. Jean Carroll and Donald Trump could not be more stark. And, you know, it just always goes to show you who Donald Trump is, what a coward he is, how unfit he is to be in office. I mean, as Hillary Clinton once, you know, famously remarked, if you could bait him with a tweet, just imagine what Putin and our enemies can do. And I think a similar type of comparison can apply here, where if Donald Trump is too big of a coward to show up in his own defense at a trial, and he flees to Scotland, it goes to his very weak pathology. Let me get back to the E. Jean Carroll case for a moment, though, because it was just announced that Donald Trump will not be calling any witnesses at all. We knew yesterday that Donald Trump would not be showing up at all to the trial. We inferred that before, but Joe Takapina confirmed for the court that Donald Trump would not be showing up, would not be testifying at all in his defense in the case, and that he would not even make an appearance at the trial. But they did have one other witness they could have potentially called, uh, an expert witness who I guess would testify about E. Jean Carroll's uh, distress and E. Jean Carroll's um, mental state and uh, horrific things like that. But that's the witness that I think they were going to call. Um, but they just announced today they're not calling that witness. So no witnesses at all. Not a single defense witness that Donald Trump will be calling in the E. Jean Carroll case. You compare that to the very methodical, very worksmanlike, and, and, and frankly, just A-plus lawyering of E. Jean Carroll's lawyers who gave a very, very, very strong opening statement. They then put on a witness who worked at Bergdorf Goodman who gave the layout at the time. They've also called another exec at Bergdorf Goodman to explain to the jury the layout. E. Jean Carroll testified courageously. You have other victims of Donald Trump testifying about their experiences where Donald Trump also assaulted them and they've testified courageously. E. Jean Carroll's put on uh, an expert uh, psychiatrist who's talked about 
the pain and suffering that E. Jean Carroll has endured, has talked about how and why E. Jean Carroll and other victims in those situations act the way they do, explain that to the jury. E. Jean Carroll's lawyers have called other witnesses, um, uh, friends of E. Jean Carroll, who she called one witness in particular just moments after Donald Trump uh, committed those heinous and vile and despicable acts. E. Jean Carroll called her friend within minutes, and that individual testified. Also, uh, E. Jean Carroll's lawyers are going to show the deposition of Donald Trump, play the Access Hollywood tapes, um, and really present a, an overwhelming case for the jury. The other hand, you compare that to Donald Trump's lawyers, just kind of whining, just constantly playing the victim. There's no other role that Donald Trump knows what to do. It's always, oh, everybody's after me. I mean, you can put on a defense in a court of law, but... You know, his strategy evidently is to basically say, oh, I never got a fair trial. Why would I put on witnesses? Why would I show up? I had to go to Scotland, which he didn't. He just decided to go there because he wanted to flee the country during uh, his trial. His lawyer, Joe Takapina, has already filed, which was rejected right away as this week started, a motion for a mistrial. The judge, it's like an 18-page motion, again, whining that the judge was treating the empty seat of Donald Trump unfairly and saying that the judge was essentially rooting for E. G. Carroll and cheering for E. e. G. Carroll, which is just not the case, simply because the judge was sustaining objections by E. G. Carroll's lawyers to the kind of harassing and intimidating questions of Joe Takapina um, and also saying that, like, where Joe Takapina tried to make this ridiculous point that E. Jean Carroll hates all men because the title of her book um, alluded to a situation where she said, I just think all, and she was being satirical, that all men should just go to Montana and they should be retrained. And the judge was basically saying, oh, you are, you're just making a literary reference there as a joke because the question was so ridiculous to Jonathan Swift's satirical essay. And then and then uh, Joe Takapina said, oh, the, you're prejudiced, that's why there should be a mistrial. <laughs> also, the judge appropriately <laughs> reprimanded uh, Joe Takapina's empty chair client and his empty chair client's son, Eric Trump, for posting uh, things on their social media saying, this trial's a scam, this trial's a hoax, and... Uh, Joe Takapina said they had a First Amendment right to say those things, and Judge, you should not have excoriated them for writing those things. I mean, you can't. And the judge was like, yeah, I'm denying that motion. So there you have it. No defense witnesses. Zero zip. They're not even putting on a case. So E. Jean Carroll's lawyers, they'll play the Trump tape. They'll, they'll play the Access Hollywood tape. They'll play Trump's deposition. They're going to arrest. And there's going to be this moment, folks, where the jury, because the jury doesn't really know yet that Trump's not calling, that Trump's not showing up and that the lawyers aren't calling any witnesses. So the plaintiff's going to rest their case. 
Joe Takapina is going to file a motion to dismiss, which in the context of a trial is called a non-suit motion, which is going to be rejected in like two seconds. Um, so don't worry when that's filed, but I, I, I will predict that they will file that. It will be rejected right away. And then the judge in front of the jury is going to say, all right, you intend to call any witnesses, Mr. Takapina? And Joe Takapina is going to say, nope, we rest. And I think the jury is just going to have this moment where they're like, what? Like they're going to be visibly shocked, I think, by that when they find that out. Then they're going to deliberate, and the standard is a preponderance of evidence. You just have to, the scales of justice just tilt slightly in favor. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt, which is the standard in a criminal case. It is preponderance of the evidence. So all you have to do, 51 to 49, if you just think one side's presented stronger evidence than the other side, in a civil case, you find for the side that, pre that presented stronger evidence, even if it's just ever so slightly, that is the standard there. It has to be a unanimous jury. It has to be 9-0 uh, in their deliberations. And so we will, we will see ultimately what they come back with. But, I mean, everything Donald Trump does is like a loser, is like a coward. Everything. And, it, and then it's always, oh, they're coming after me. Here's the thing about courts, and this is why MAGA Republicans hate the courts. It still is a place where facts and evidence matter. I know Fox and all these right-wing disinformation echo chambers and, frankly, a lot of legacy media, they don't do their job. They are now safe havens for disinformation, to spread filth. However, courts still aren't. Donald Trump's appointed some horrible judges, so there are some bad judges out there where facts don't matter. You talk about the judge who banned Mifepristone, um, Judge Kaczmarek, for example, one of these Trump appointees in, in, I think, Northern District of Texas. you got Judge Eileen Cannon in the Southern District of Florida. So you've got some really bad judges out there, and that's one of Trump's initiatives. Put bad judges because, hey, we can't deal with facts and evidence. But you put these MAGA Republicans, you put the Giuliani's and the Sidney Powell's and the Mike Flynn's and, you know, all of these idiots uh, in a court of law where facts and evidence matter, you see for yourself what uh, transpires. I'm Ben Micellis from the Midas Touch Network. Hit subscribe. We're on our way to 1.5 million subscribers thanks to your incredible support. Please hit subscribe. Check us out at patreon.com slash Midas Touch, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Midas Touch. And wherever you get audio podcasts, subscribe to the Midas Touch audio podcast. Just search Midas Touch Podcast. Thank you so much for watching. Now hit subscribe on YouTube. It is free. Hey Midas Mighty, love this report? Continue the conversation by following us on Instagram, at Midas Touch, to keep up with the most important news of the day. What are you waiting for? Follow us now. Special counsel Jack Smith subpoenaed Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner as his criminal investigation into Donald Trump's 
2020 criminal election interference heats up and the criminal investigation is heating up indeed. Jack Smith is not hesitating and just filed a motion to compel the testimony of former Vice President Mike Pence following Donald Trump's baseless assertion of executive privilege and Pence's assertion of speech and debate clause immunity. Then let's turn to Arizona, where it was revealed this week by the new Democratic Attorney General Chris Mays that her predecessor, Republican Attorney General Mark Branovich, that he concealed a report that his office prepared after 10,000 hours of investigatory work showing that there was absolutely no evidence of election fraud in Arizona. This while, Branovich was out there on the Steve Bannon Show and others spreading conspiracy theories about the 2020 election for Donald Trump. Look, I think Branovich needs to be disbarred. We'll talk about it on this episode. Meanwhile, a federal judge in Washington, D.C. ordered Donald Trump to sit for a deposition in the Peter Strzok wrongful termination lawsuit in federal court in Washington, D.C. Um, and this is a wrongful termination that was lawsuit that was filed against the FBI. Let's talk about those implications. And what is going on in Fulton County? Earlier this week, the foreperson of the special grand jury, Emily Kors, gave an unexpected and just call it questionable media tour, although... Later in the week, the presiding judge, Robert McBurney, said there was no problem with it. Let's discuss the implications of this and just generally what's going on in Fulton County where things looked very organized, things looked very much on the tracks where they were supposed to be headed. Um, and there does look to be some disorganization there. And you compare that to the, frankly, organization of special counsel Jack Smith's work. So let's talk about that all. But Michael Popak, how are you doing today? I'm doing. I'm doing great. I'm doing. I'm on the road again. With people on Wednesday, I was in Atlanta, not because of the special purpose grand juror going on network television, because I was there. And now I'm in Miami, although you can't tell from the curtain behind me. Listen, I love all of our segments today, like children. Like I don't have any favorites. But what the actual f is going on in Fulton County? We'll get there. We will get there indeed. For all of our audio listeners only, Popak is rocking those original controversial uh, glasses that really split the legal AF community. Um, but he's been doing some variations. We're back to those original large black glasses. And we'll talk about that too, maybe later in the show. But let's get right into the legal news. Special counsel Jack Smith subpoena of Ivanka Trump and Jared Kushner, of course, both testified before the January 6th committee. Look, Ivanka Trump was there during the insurrection. She was there in the White House when Donald Trump was making phone calls to former Vice President Pence and threatening him and saying, don't count the votes, don't count the electoral votes, throw it to the state legislatures. And Pence refused to do that, begrudgingly refused to do that, because I think Pence if he could try to figure out a way to break the law, would have tried to do that. And we see what a spineless coward he is right now. And Ivanka was also at the ellipse. We see her in the video there while the Trump family was literally dancing as our uh, democracy 
uh, was being threatened and as a free and fair election was trying to be contested through a violent coup. And Jared Kushner flew back from the Middle East where he was cutting personal deals for himself, likely including the $2 billion he received from the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund after Donald Trump left office, even though Kushner doesn't manage money. He's now a money manager and got a $2 billion check from the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund. Look, they both... There's going to be new information that Special Counsel Jack Smith is focused on here. Um, and I think the answer is yes. And I'll give you my take, and then I want to hear yours, Popak. I think that Special Counsel Jack Smith is far more interested as well in the financial crimes that Donald Trump committed in addition to the actual violent insurrection, in addition to the fake elector scheme, in addition to the threats that Donald Trump had made um, to state and local election officials. And so we know, for example, that one of the focuses of Special Counsel Jack Smith's investigation is on potential money laundering and campaign finance violations. And Donald Trump potentially creating, it looks like he did create these uh, LLCs that he had individuals in his inner circle uh, control where money would be routed to that LLC so that Donald Trump's committees, uh, whether it's his political action groups or other campaign committees, just report, we now know the number to be close to $800 million that was just being sent to this LLCs but you wouldn't know who the end recipients were. So I think Special Counsel Jack Smith's going to be focused um, far more on the financial crimes here. And also, let's not forget, there's not only a criminal grand jury about election interference, there is a criminal grand jury as well about Donald Trump's theft of uh, government records, thousands of government records, including sensitive compartmented information. And while at first blush they may seem to be unrelated, I think they're inextricably intertwined because one of the reasons Donald Trump wanted to and needed to stay in power such that he needed a violent coup was he was doing the bidding of foreign powers. And when he left, I think it was his intent to continue to do the bidding of foreign powers and our enemies. And we know Special Counsel Jack Smith has been asking lots of witnesses about Donald Trump's relationships with foreign governments and foreign leaders. And could he have been using these documents, I think he was, very transactionally in order to exchange favors and get money from these various uh, foreign entities. And as we know, for example, the Saudis having golf tournaments at Trump golf courses while Donald Trump spreads conspiracies about September 11th. I mean, how heinous and despicable uh, can you be there? And really, these foreign interests, our foreign enemies, are Donald Trump's only way of making money these days. And so, of course, Donald Trump, who we know is a complete and utter treasonous traitor, would do that. But I want to get your take, Popak, about Special Counsel Jack Smith's subpoena here. What do you think the implications are? Do you think there'll be some bombshells? Or you think it's just going to be a rehash of what the January 6th committee did? Yeah, well, well let's start with it this way. The fact that Ivanka... Mike Pence and Jared are being dragged, kicking and screaming into grand juries. We don't know exactly which ones yet. You've identified at least three of them. For me, it means that we're at the beginning of the end of the prosecutions, not the end of the beginning. You don't bring in 
these apex people at the very top in the very you can't get any more inner circle and blood relations and in-law relations for Donald Trump there's nobody closer to him probably even than his own wife than Ivanka and the fact that she's been dragged is going to be dragged in we're going to see if there's going to be an attempted assertion of executive privilege although I would argue that it's been waived because Donald Trump for whatever reason strategically or is a moron did not assert executive privilege when they testified about many of these same topics in front of the Jan 6 committee. So I'm not sure he's going to be able to now, like a shield and a sword, you know, I think if you have executive privilege, you need to consistently enforce it and apply it. And if you don't, you don't. And I, I think he's sort of um, not able to assert that privilege. And of course, if he tries to assert the privilege, the current holder of the privilege, the current occupant of the Oval Office, Joe Biden, will waive it. And so that will fall by the wayside. Which of the many grand juries, the Jan 6, the election interference, the money laundering slash uh, campaign fundraising grift, the, and the related issues that you identified, Ben, about the connections between Donald Trump and foreign powers, the Mar-a-Lago, as you said, transactional use of documents, I don't know yet. But we do know from the Jan 6 committee and from our other statements, including the video that the Jan 6 committee took special relish in running over and over again to stick it to Donald Trump was, you know, Ivanka was a, not only a fly in the wall, but an active participant in some main events in this, in all of these prosecutions. She's in the room, in the dining room for almost the three hours during the dereliction of duty. She's there when, when he calls, her father calls Mike Pence and uses the P word and encourages him to overthrow the will of the people and not certify the election. She's there for, pardon me, for all of that. Um, she sided with Bill Barr, who called all fraud allegations that Donald Trump was hanging his hat on bullshit. I'm not paraphrasing, that's his words. She agreed with him. To the extent that either this is a grand theater piece arranged by the Trump family, led by Donald Trump, or Donald Trump has consistently attacked Ivanka, um, leading to her testimony. Because when she sided with Bill Barr, he immediately went on Twitter or whatever, he, whatever social media platform he was on at that moment and said, basically, she's an idiot. She's, she hasn't been in the inner circle for a long, long time. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And she was just being kind or friendly to an old man, Bill Barr, who lost it. You know, so he's gone out of his way to attack her and Jared. When she said, I'm not helping, because I, I think they hoped by, by leaving their life, their cushy life, their royalty life in New York and relocating to relative anonymity in Miami on, on uh, Indian Creek, you know, the billionaire row that she lives on with her husband building, building a house there and leaving all of her friends and her synagogue behind and her social relationships and charitable relationships and try to start again in Miami with, uh, you know, the, the billions of dollars of grift her family has accumulated. I'm sure they hope by also not helping the current campaign they would sort of lower the temperature on them, lower the target on them. But that's that's not going to happen. Like, oh, I hope they don't remember us. We're down here in, in Florida. And she's been very public in trying to separate herself in a way. We've interpreted this in the past. In the New York Attorney General suit, for instance, on the $250 million civil fraud case, she found a way to have Letitia James agree not to have her as subject to financial monitoring as the rest of the family, Eric, on Jr., Donald, you know, Weisselberg, the rest. 
because, you know, she convinced the attorney general that she's really out of the business, you know, sort of like Michael Corleone when he moved to uh, moved out west to California, you know, to get legitimate after he left the Corleone family business in New York, you know, that Ivanka is trying to convince people that she's gone legit now in Miami and doesn't have those ties. He attacked her even then. He, he said, when she said, I'm not going to help his campaign, when that reporting came out, you know, Donald Trump got on, on his Twitter, whatever feed, and said, she wasn't asked. In other words, she didn't quit. You know, I fired her. Now, so there's a, there's a tension going on here, whether, whether true or made up um, by, the, by the parties. We don't know that yet. Um, but she's in harm's way right now because she's not going to be able to, that executive privilege is going to fall away quickly. She is going to sit in a chair and have to answer questions before prosecutors working for Jack Smith in one of three or four grand juries. We don't know exactly which yet. We know there's going, we know the MO here. We know the blueprint. There's going to be a skirmish over the executive privilege assertion that's going to go currently to Beryl Howell, the chief judge of the court in D.C. Circuit. We're going to talk about her a little bit later as well in the segment that we're going to do about about Pence and others. And then it's she's going to rule either because Biden has dropped the executive privilege or because there is no executive privilege that's been waived in the past by Donald Trump. And then she's going to you know either have to take it to the D.C. Court of Appeals and then a fast track to the Supreme Court. But it's not like she's the vice president. You know, the fact that she, once executive privilege is stripped away from her, which is going to be quickly, she's going to have to testify about these things. And you could be right, Ben. I, I'm not pushing back much on your financial crimes analysis. Certainly, if somebody were to know about that, the person who at the relevant time periods was front and center in helping to run those businesses, she was very public about it, about, you know, I'm in control, I'm in charge now, I'm in the, I have the controls. And then Jared's got his own unique problems as well. <clears throat> Pardon me. You know, he tried to separate very quickly. Was in Saudi Arabia raising money on Jan 6 because he saw, apparently, he saw his father-in-law spiraling down the drain and out of control with all these crazy theories and wanted to get away from the bomb blast as quickly as possible. So he's been trying even earlier than, than uh, Ivanka to get as far away from a, a destructive... Um, Donald Trump, or to paraphrase Fox News and Tucker Carlson that's come out in the Fox files, Donald Trump is a destroyer, and we can't let him destroy us. And Ivanka and Jared saw that early on, but now we're going to have to pay the price and testify before all these things. So we'll do that. Are we going to do uh, Pence next? Uh, we're going to do Pence, do Pence yeah. next, but you got Kushner, one of the arsonists, out in Saudi Arabia, basically looking for new tools to kind of come back here and to further cause damage to our great democracy. What a fascist traitor that piece of crap is. But I digress. Let's talk about another, though, I think coward right here, and this is Mike Pence. And look, do you give Mike Pence some credit for the fact that he didn't support the overthrow of our democracy? Well... It's a pretty freaking low bar right there to give someone a pat on the back. Kudos, Pence, you followed the Constitution and you didn't commit multiple felonies, including seditious conspiracy and treason. Certainly not a hero, and I would argue, frankly, a completely spineless coward who enabled Donald Trump throughout and frankly wanted to figure out a way 
how he could support Donald Trump's coup, but based purely on self-preservation, um, ultimately didn't. You know, we learn more about his conversations with Dan Quayle, for example, where over and over Pence asked if there was anything he could do. You, you have, you, and then Quayle would be like, you have no flexibility on this, none, zero, forget it, just shut up, put it, put it away, Quayle told them. Pence pressed again, quote, you don't know the position I'm in. You don't know the position I'm in, Dan Quayle. No, and, and, and you remember Quayle, like, that was those were the days where someone's reputation in political office would be damaged if you didn't spell potato correctly. You know, now you have Republicans out there just calling for national divorce and secession, and that's platformed. I mean, Quayle's reputation literally shut down on the basis of not spelling potato correctly. Uh, but let's go into uh, Pence. We know that Pence was served with a subpoena um, to testify before the criminal grand jury and to produce documents. Within the past uh, two weeks, we broke that news here uh, on the Midas Touch Network. And then the week after that, Pence stated, well, you know what? I really need to be treated like I'm a senator because, you see, my ceremonial roles under Article One of the Constitution as the president of the Senate, I preside over certain things like the counting of the electoral votes on January 6th. So even though I'm an executive branch official, let's just call me senator, okay? And, you know, there's that thing called the speech and debate clause, which protects uh, or provides immunity for members of the House of Representatives and senators for statements that they make on the House floor, which has been interpreted by the United States Supreme Court case, Gravel, to basically encompass all legitimate legislative activities. So basically, because of my ceremonial role as president of the Senate, I view that as a legitimate legislative role, and therefore everything that's related to the January 6th insurrection, I should not have to testify about. Not because of executive privilege or anything like that, because my role as a president, as the president of the Senate. So that was his argument. Fast forward a little bit to this past week. Donald Trump then also asserts the executive privilege, which to me actually may undercut the speech and debate clause claim that he was president of the Senate, if you're trying to assert both, I would think that perhaps in a snarky footnote, the Department of Justice could put that out in the motion to compel. Well, on the one hand, you have Trump claiming executive privilege, which, by the way, the Biden administration doesn't recognize, and which you, Judge Beryl Howell, the presiding judge who's going to make this decision, have consistently ruled against Donald Trump's assertion of executive privilege when he's tried to make it with people like Pat Cipollone, the former top White House lawyer, Patrick Feldman, who is Cipollone's top deputy, Mark Short, Pence's former chief of staff, and Greg Jacobs, uh, Pence's former uh, general counsel. Um, I think you could do a snarky footnote there, uh, Popak, but um, Special Counsel Jack Smith isn't playing around here because he immediately filed a motion to compel, and it is what it sounds like. Compel Pence to stop being a spineless coward who is not helping our democracy and have him testify. And so how do you do that? You file a motion with the presiding judge, Judge Beryl Howell, who presides over uh, the criminal grand juries, all of the criminal grand juries in Washington, D.C. Her term is set to expire on March 17th, but she's held this, this role for some years. So any criminal grand jury, and because these are criminal grand juries that exist, the ones um, investigating Trump's 
criminal conduct. She's the decision maker there. Um, all of her previous rulings have mostly all been in the favor of the Department of Justice. And here, Jack Smith is saying, look, compel Pence to sit before the grand jury. Ultimately, Pence can appeal to the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals, um, and he could appeal ultimately to the United States uh, Supreme Court. But Pence, um, you know, first the first layer of decisions going to go with uh, Judge Beryl Howell there. Before I pass it to you, Popak, I mean, I think here is the arguments that I think I, I make in this order. One, um, no executive privilege, Judge Beryl Howell, look at what you've ruled previously with Cipollone and Philbin and Short and Jacobs. Former presidents don't get to assert it. Sorry, uh, Biden hasn't asserted it and there's a compelling need in any way, let's dispose very easily of the executive privilege. You move over to the speech and debate clause immunity. First off, Pence isn't entitled to it. He was a vice president. He's not a senator. The speech and debate clause clearly just refers to um, uh, members of Congress, senators, and members of the House of Representatives. He is neither. In any event, even if you claim that he has some level of speech and debate clause claim, it should only be in the moment when he is acting in that ceremonial role. And here we are looking for all of this other information leading up to the insurrection, the day of the insurrection, when he was not doing a ceremonial role, what he heard and what he observed. And then my third argument is also is that we know that the speech and debate clause also does not apply to things that are not legitimate legislative activity and you observing people overthrowing democracy is not legitimate legislative activity and there we can think about when lindsey graham senator from south carolina tried to assert speech and debate clause immunity in a later topic we're going to talk about which is fawny willis's criminal uh investigation before the special grand jury in fulton county where Graham asserted speech and debate clause immunity and the district court, the Ninth Circuit, and ultimately the Supreme Court basically said, look, there may be areas that are legitimate legislative activity, but when you gave, um, when you made these comments um, to uh, the Secretary of State and to others, you were not engaged in legitimate legislative activity. You were extorting uh, them. That could be, you know, viewed as that was certainly not legitimate legislative activity. And statements to the press are not legitimate legislative activity. So, Popak, what do you think? All right, let me see what I could advance here, because we covered a lot of ground on that one. First of all, let's start with the lawyer that represented Pence when he had to make all decisions about, besides getting advice from Dan Quayle, Greg Jacobs brought in J. Michael Luddick, a conservative, well-respected, now-retired federal judge, often referred to as the father of the Supreme Court modern because many of the people that served there came through as clerks of Luddick, and he has close relationships with people on the Supreme Court. He just published a best essay in the New York Times just the other day. It's under the title, Conser A Conservative Case for Avoiding a Repeat of January 6th. But within it, he is taking his former client Mike Pence to task, who he told in no uncertain terms, just as just as Quayle said, but this is with the imprimatur of being a federal judge, former federal judge, well respected. You don't have any powers here, Mike. You can't you can't do what Trump is asking you to do. You're ceremonial. You watch envelopes being opened. You bang a gavel and you declare a winner, and that's it. 
and this other fake elector stuff and all the other things you're being asked to do, you cannot do. And it's public from the Jan 6 committee testimony through Greg Jacobs and others that uh, Pence relied on that advice in not um, helping to overthrow America. Now, that same uh, judge slash lawyer is taking Pence to task in public. He even says one of the reasons he wrote the guest essay is to put pressure on Pence to realize that he this Hail Mary defense of speech and debate or executive privilege that he is putting up, and this is in, in Luddick's word, Hail Mary pass, is going to be shredded really, really quickly. And since you're running for office or you want to run for office as the President of the United States, if you think you're going to time this thing out and push it so far off into the future that you won't have to be dragged into the grand jury until well after, like, the primaries, that's not going to work because this is on a fast track. First stop on the train is, as you said, Ben, if it happens in March, which it will, is Beryl Howell. Beryl Howell, who the Department of Justice is batting like 950 in front of, these are beyond Hall of Fame numbers, in winning every time. So Beryl Howell, prediction, she's going to rule against Mike Pence. Trump is going to assert the ex executive privilege as he has. She's going to analyze it. And the Department of Justice is in an interesting position, and they're being very nuanced in the executive privilege issue. We'll focus on that for a moment. In some cases, and we're going to talk about it when we get to Strzok and Page and the former FBI uh, people that were also in a relationship who are suing to get their jobs back because they were fired by the FBI under Trump because they were, you know, anti-Trump in private. There, the Department of Justice is actually, in a way, on the side of Donald Trump but on the side of executive privilege and there, Amy Berman Jackson, we're going to talk about her later, she wants to hear what Joe Biden, current holder of the executive privilege, has to say about that. <clears throat> so it's not that the Department of Justice is always stripping away executive privilege. Sometimes, as we've said, you know, politics and law make strange bedfellows. Sometimes it's sort of they're on that side of the Trump side because they have broader historical um, considerations to make when they're doing their, um, their, their litigating in the courtroom. But here it's clear. Mike, uh, Mike Smith, I made a new person. Um, Jack Smith's going after Pence. It's going to happen in the next couple of weeks. It's going to get in front of Beryl Howell. It'll probably be one of her last things that she does before new judge Jeb Boesberg takes over, also a Democratic appointee. So we, we shouldn't have too much fear about he's going to throw over the apple cart that's been established so delicately by Beryl Howell in precedent over the last year and a half or two years. So that's looking pretty good. If he doesn't like the result there, he can take it up to the D.C. Court of Appeals. We'll have to see the panel. Usually it's used Democrat, could get, could get one Trumper or Bush person on there or so, hopefully. And then it goes to a Supreme Court, which, although has been not where we want it to be, that's an understatement in terms of its rulings on most major issues. When it comes to presidential papers, politics, executive privilege, testimony, Jan 6, it looks like we got the votes to force Pence to testify, but we're going to have to watch this closely. But I agree with you. This whole speech and debate thing, maybe it covers, you know, because you can have overlapping privileges and then kind of seams and gaps where there is no privilege over a timeline of events. So in other words, there may be a little bit of privilege that's properly asserted over the day he stood on Jan 6 or things around him um, on the floor of the, of the Senate presiding over the ceremonial ministerial fashion only, the opening of the envelopes and the ballots and the counting by state. 
maybe. If there was like a conversation he had, if he like put his hand over the microphone, if he talked to some legislators there about process, if he was getting some consultation about his role at the time, maybe it's covered, maybe. But other things, like let's talk about you getting a phone call from Donald Trump where he called you a pussy unless you, because you, would, you weren't, or you didn't have the balls because you weren't willing to, to pull the, the trigger on his, yeah. fake, fake, his fake elector scam. What's that covered by? You're saying and that is part of your role as the president of the Senate is to be called that, the P word by the president? Right. So that's out. And so maybe that's executive privilege, that interaction between the two of them, not. And if there was an attorney in the room, maybe attorney client privilege. But they're going to have to, just as she's always done, just as we have a lot of confidence in her abilities to do, Farrell Howell will pick through just as the Northern District of Georgia did, which is now 11th Circuit precedent affirmed by the U.S. Supreme Court for under the, the case of Lindsey Graham, as you mentioned, about when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate. He is going to have to testify. It's going to be about many of the events. Of the, I mean, the part about why didn't you get into the things that came up in Gen 6? Why didn't you get into the car? and get whisked away from the Capitol where the Secret Service tried to duck your head into a moving vehicle, you know, into a moving car. What's he going to say? It was just me doing my legitimate role as the president of the Senate, all presidents that of the doesn't, Senate. Right, so that doesn't work. These are the examples that you and I are providing to show when there are some events that are important, that are covered, not covered, maybe covered, maybe waived, and overarching the criminal investigation of obstruction of justice, the criminal case against Donald Trump will likely overcome many of the assertions of these privileges. They're not absolute. They're always balanced against the need of the justice system to get to the bottom of things. We've seen it time and time again by federal judges with, with Eastman, with the crime fraud exception ripping away attorney-client privilege, with executive privilege being dropped by, by Biden when asked. We're going, to, you know, this is the message, I believe, that the conservative J. Michael Luddick was trying to send through the New York Times uh, guest essay just a, a day or so ago, to his former client. You're going to lose this, and you're going to look terrible in history along the way. And if you think you'll be able to delay it long enough, this Hail Mary pass long enough, to, in order so it doesn't impact your presidential ambition, you are. Step up, be the patron. Because Luddick was the first one to come out and say, he early on, he should be given a lot of credit, my client, for doing the right thing. Yeah, that's not what he's saying now in the essay. And I think that Luddick really has two audiences that he was trying to reach there. The first audience was an audience of one in Pence. The other audience was an audience of the few, which are the judges who are going to be hearing Pence's assertion of speech and debate clause. I mean,